0: Welcome, everybody, to another week of Legal Tech Week, the show where we talk about the top stories in legal tech and legal innovation over the past week. Today is February 10th, 2023. I'm Bob Ambrogi. I uh, have the blog Law Sites and the podcast Law Next. And uh, a bunch of our usual panelists are back here today. Uh, Hope everybody had a good week. Uh, Let's go around and introduce ourselves. Uh, Gene, you want to kick it off?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Gina Grady. I'm the author and editor of Dewey B Strategic, which covers legal research, technology, KM, and anything else I'm interested in. I also write for the Legal Tech Hub blog. All
0: right. And uh, Stephanie. Um,
2: hi, I'm Stephanie Wilkins. I'm the editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News at ALM.
3: Joe Patrice. Joe Patrice from Above the Law and Thinking Like a Lawyer. I um. And I guess this week my official title has become like a official thorn in Jonathan Turley's side. I guess, uh, although I'm getting I'm getting some competition from Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz on that one. It looks like.
0: Uh, do you get a pay raise for that, or something? Is that the new title? <laughs> <laughs> he
3: just he just wouldn't stop this week. It was. Uh...
4: And Steve. Hi, I'm Steve Embry. I write the blog, All Crossroads. I'm also this year's chair of the uh, ABA Law Practice Division, and I will shamelessly plug the ABA Tech Show, which is coming up on March 1 through 4 in Chicago, and would certainly welcome everybody and hope people can attend. It looks like it's going to be a really great show this year. And if you go, don't
0: miss Startup Alley on the first night of the show, where we do our pitch competition. We've announced the Fifteen companies that are going to be participating this year. It's a really mixed, mixed, mixed group of people, mixed group of companies. Uh, unusual, uh, unusual mix, I think, a little bit for for
4: this year's show. So that's going to be fun. And if you're going to be there for that, get to the room early because it's usually standing room only. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. That's right. Are we. I don't even know where we are this year. Are we in the same room as always, or? I would assume, We'll find out. I'll find out when I get there. Um, all right, well, you may have thought we uh, talked enough about Do Not Pay and Chat GPT and other such things last week, but we've got more to talk about on all of those this week. But I kind of feel like given that it's uh, Super Bowl weekend coming <laughs> up, uh, that uh, maybe we ought to start with Steve's pick of a story this week, which That's brings right. together uh, legal <laughs> tech and Super Bowl somehow, I don't
4: know, or legal and Super Bowl anyway. So, uh, who, who would you know? It's... As Bob Ambrosi once once said, uh, soon, someday will be malpractice not to use data analytics in <laughs> litigation. And it'll someday be malpractice of some sort not to use legal analytics and in placing your Super Bowl bet, apparently. But uh, this is kind of funny, Roy Strom of Bloomberg wrote this article. And um, he went back and he looked at the Kirkland and Ellis profits per partner and then compared those with the cost of a 30-second ad or Super Bowl, and he had this nice little graph, and they they track pretty pretty closely. Sometimes Kirkland and Ellis's trajectory was above, and sometimes it was below. Uh, just for sort of background facts, the the profits per partner for Kirkland and Ellis in twenty twenty one were seven point four million. Um, last year's Super Bowl ads, thirty second spot, was six point five million. That's kind of interesting that <laughs> you can get profits per partner that are greater than the cost of a 30 second Super Bowl ad. But um, in any event, so, but here's the really fascinating thing that he found. So, when the Kirkland analysis profits per partner for the last year, that would be 2022, uh, are greater than the cost of last year's Super Bowl 30 second ad. Are you with me now? When that happens, then the the team with the quarterback who'd never played in a Super Bowl before will win. So <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> that is that usually happens, not always. Three out of the last four times that's happened. So the question is whether you think the Kirkland and Ellis profits per partner for 2022, we don't know those yet, but if they will exceed the cost of last year's Super Bowl ad, which is $6.5 million, then you would want to bet on the Eagles. And that actually, and, and Roy concludes, and I agree with him, that's actually a pretty good bet because in 2021, the profits per partner were $7.4 million. So they only have to, you know, they can even take a, like a 12% decrease in 2022 and still be ahead of last year's um, Super Bowl ad cost. So. Putting all that together, I'm betting on the Eagles.
1: <laughs> I'm not a bidding person, but I think I will too. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and, and to think I was using the fact that Patrick Mahomes has a high ankle sprain, but that seems much more
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
3: Very old, school, Roy. <laughs> Joe.
2: Very old school approach, Joseph.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean that I'm like the bad guys in Moneyball. I wasn't paying <laughs> no. attention to the analytics here.
4: I'm gonna I'm gonna be in touch with with Roy when it comes to the NBA Finals and the World Series and see what he can come up with for those two. <laughs> the, the tracking is it, remarkable right. though. <laughs> the, the way it tracked is really
0: remarkable though. I mean, if you look at Roy's article and it's yeah. this, the the graph showing the, the the tracking between the price of an ad and the profits per partner at Kirkland, and they're just Entirely on par so, with each other. It's, it's just, you
4: know, just bizarre. I have this sort of mental image of Roy sitting down with a glass of bourbon, sort of contemplating, <laughs> what well, can I, can I write, write about? What if there's well, you know, office for partner, Super Bowl ads. There must be some correlation there.
3: Amazing.
0: Yeah, but how do you draw the correlation to that firm even? Was there something that somebody somebody must have dug that up, right?
3: <laughs> so So I will say, I I don't know why he chose it, but it is a good one because like when I was coming out of law school, Kirkland was not all that. It was like a mid-tier whatever. And it's a firm that kind of has gone on a ride from middling to the top of the game, kind of along the same trajectory as ads have gotten more expensive at the Super Bowl. So it makes a lot of sense. It's not like one that's had ups and downs, like say poor Sherman and Sterling. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to see it. I don't see anything in his article. It must be in his article somewhere about how he, how he drew that correlation. I'm not seeing it though. Well, he's just prescient, I guess. We'll have to get him back on the show. He's been on a few mm-hmm. times.
3: Uh, all
0: right. Well, um, if, uh, if, uh, are we, are we, are you putting money down on that Steve or is that
4: uh, uh, a limited amount? <laughs> okay,
3: we'll All right. That. Grease up the poles around his house. <laughs>
0: um, so uh, we can talk, I guess, a little bit about uh, Do Not Pay and, and uh, Joshua Browder again, only because there was a connection. I I, I happened to uh, interview him on, on my podcast this week. Uh, and... Uh, it it happens that the fact that I interviewed him on my podcast followed directly from our show here last week, uh, because he uh, uh, there there was uh, we were talking about it last week and and one of our panelists I think it was Nikki uh, kind of made a comparison to him um, uh, being uh, the uh, Elizabeth no, Elizabeth Holmes is that the name? Yeah, Elizabeth Holmes of 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 the legal tech world. Um, and apparently he was listening to our show last week, uh, and uh, wasn't too th- too thrilled with that comparison. So he called me uh, on Monday of this week. Uh, emailed me I think over the weekend. So "Can we talk Monday?" I said, "Sure." And we got on the phone, and uh, he was talking about that. I said, "How would you feel if I recorded this uh, call?" And he said. Sure, I said well actually I need to go to my office and get my podcast stuff set up. So how about in about an hour or so we'll record. He said sure. So uh, it turned out we just had a conversation about all this stuff that I wasn't quite uh, anticipating uh, we were going to have, but uh, uh, it, it's an interesting conversation, some, you know, I've been getting raked over the coals on social media for going, going too easily on him. Uh, and, uh, maybe I did. I mean, I, 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 certainly could have been better prepared for the interview, which I wasn't, but, uh, I, I pretty much feel like he raked himself over the coals in the course of the interview by a lot of the things he said, uh, you know, starting from, uh, describing the entire sort of the entire controversy over the last few weeks as a bit of a nothing burger uh, and really downplaying uh, the uh, research uh, uh, that Catherine Toussaint had done into his applications, downplaying some of the backlash over the um, um, uh, so-called publicity stunts around offering a million dollars to go to the Supreme Court and, uh, and sending a robot lawyer into traffic court uh, and, uh, you know, dancing around this issue of whether he forged uh, uh, charity uh, donations, uh, not charity donations, buying buying up uh, debt, Medicare, medical debt, uh, and, and writing it off. Um, even since then, there's been more allegations, uh, you know, around the the issue of whether, in fact, he he kind of made up uh, a lot of the numbers back when he first started and talked about all the traffic tickets that that they were able to uh, resolve back in 2015, 2016, whenever that was Um, that we that was that came out before I interviewed him. So we didn't talk about that. But, uh, you know, it's it's a it was a a fascinating interview. Uh, It it really, I think, raises a lot of questions uh, about about him and about the company, I, and, uh, you know, I, I in some ways, I, I, when this all first started to break, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's two sides to these stories, but the, the more I, I hear him, the more I feel like he was just, uh, digging in deeper and deeper on, on, uh, on, on these issues, uh, and uh, I mean, a, a concern I've raised is one, Stephanie, you guys did a really good job this week, or you did rather a good, really good job this week, kind of rounding up some some insight on the sort of bigger question of what does this mean for kind of justice tech uh, in yeah. general?
2: Yeah, and a lot of that actually came out of two weeks ago on this call. And some of, some of those people were just commenting in this chat, which is how I reached out to them and got thoughts on it but I think it's interesting that people thought you went easy because I even while I was listening to it I even said to my coworker, oh Bob's not pulling punches this is good I thought you did actually press him on um I mean in a nice way you're not like attack him but it, I he sort of came to me he came across as very I mean very defensive but also like he was being persecuted and there was a, a lot of I don't know it was because in that um two weeks ago it wasn't even just I wasn't even on last week two weeks ago somebody in the comments compared him to Elizabeth Holmes it wasn't just Nikki so um but yeah I it's it's sort of still unresolved I mean a lot of the people I'll I'll put the link to my articles that I mean it's sort of the question of I mean is there such a thing as bad publicity for something that doesn't get publicity much but um it was sort of a divide and it's actually not surprising, but I didn't think about it. So a lot of other people I talked to who are sort of building these apps and these social justice apps, especially if they're women and women of color, they're like, well, we can't, we can't afford to, you know have a big spectacular failure. We need to think this out and we need to do this. And I think that's just sort of the impression of, he just was, you know, he's just sort of like a rich kid with a lot of money and he can afford to play fast and loose and damn the consequences.
0: Yeah, I love I loved the quote in your article from uh, Devshi uh, mm-hmm. Maratra at uh, Justice Tech, where she said, uh, you know, while I agree the legal industry is in desperate need of disruption, moving fast should never come at the expense of the integrity of our work.
2: And, exactly. Uh,
0: and I think that really sums it up well.
2: Yeah. And yeah, it was convenient. I was, I was planning to have this particle go up anyway. And so I was able to quote your nothing burger. It's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of yeah. not, well, I guess his nothing burger, but it sort of sums up the whole thing of he's just, he's acting like this was no big deal. People overreacting, but the fact is people are trying to do this work and don't have the access to the spotlight or the money. Um, just like, it's like someone said, it just leaves whether or not it's ultimately a bad thing. It has left a bad taste in people's mouths.
0: Yeah. Yep. Any other insights on that?
1: I just feel like he's not the first tech entrepreneur to engage in outrageous hyperbole. I did not hear your interview. I'll have to go listen to it now. But, you know, I think most of the hyperbole has been aimed at large law firms and nobody cares if if they have to spend a lot of money on done products, but it's not the first time. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think that's part of it too. He's just approaching this like any other tech experiment and not really taking into account that this particular thing he's working on involves real people (coughs) and people who need help.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, And he he pretty much admitted that he, you know, never really expected anybody to take him up on the million dollars. He said he was prepared to pay it if anybody did, but he didn't really expect that to happen. Uh, I, I, I mean, I've expressed before on this show, some surprise at the fact, you know, when he said he pulled the plug on the on the robot lawyer in court plan. <clears throat> excuse me, that he had uh, w- that he had somehow been surprised that that prosecutors had had threatened him about that, and I I I was you know I I, I, when I said D- didn't you had not you thought about this? I mean, didn't it occur to you that that. Uh, that you might get in trouble for this. And he said, well, you know, I thought maybe they'd come after me after the fact, but I didn't think they'd challenge me up front. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I, 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 he still has yet to show any evidence that, in fact, prosecutors did come after him. I mean, I, I, I asked him, others that. have asked yeah. him um, for the letters and in, it, while we were on the recording the podcast, he, he pointed me uh, to a, a document sharing site where he's saying he was going to show this. And then all, all that was there was one letter from a lawyer, a lawyer in Virginia to the California bar saying, please stop this guy. I don't want to get him in trouble, but please stop him, basically. Uh, and I mean he kept talking about lots of lawyers writing. But again, we haven't seen all those letters. And I have no doubt that lawyers were complaining. I mean, they, they would do that, but um, you know, you, you just kinda have to take everything uh he says with a grain of salt at this point, I, I, I think. And uh uh that that's too bad. I mean it, it doesn't bode well uh for that company and all. You really have to wonder what what the future is for that company. Um and uh but and it and it and you do have to wonder about the impact on on whether others start looking at other justice tech or, or consumer-facing legal tech products with some, some suspicion. I hope they don't, but uh, right. I, I mean, it's good to be suspicious about any product. I mean, it's good to be, uh, right. you know, ask questions and, and try and test it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we now have uh, a, a uh, Catherine Toussaint as an example of, of how to do that and how yeah. to do it right, I guess, and uh, hopefully others will, will follow suit.
2: But I mean, I guess I was also sort of struck by his whole tone of just, you know, sort of he felt like he was being persecuted. And but also, like, at no point did he even just say, like, obviously, none of this is my intention, but I'm sorry if it hurt anybody or I, yeah. I, if it had a bad effect. Like, I don't think it had a bad effect, but I'm sorry if it did. Like, he could have even said that.
0: Right. Yeah, there was absolutely no contrition right. or what uh in in anything you said uh really tone deaf uh, real tone deafness about 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 all of this uh and and about how to respond to it uh, right
2: i agree
3: so
0: uh all
3: right did you convey, um, did you convey did you convey to him that we could easily set up a moot panel for way less than a million dollars with some real law professors and stuff if he would which i, I still would be interested to see what it does
2: Right. And that's how it should have gone. I mean, if he had done that as an experiment, it would have been fantastic. People would have been mm-hmm. into it. Yeah.
3: So I did actually. And yes, say that. with a bar tab. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, I've I been, I've so- been buried.
0: Yeah, I did. Well, I did say something to him about um, you know had you had you had you considered just trying to reach out and see if Mm there's a friendly judge out there who would let you do this as an experiment. Uh, Yeah. You know, not not doing it through subterfuge, but but doing it uh, in a cooperative way with a judge. And he said something about I'm 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 grooming a judge in (laughs) San Diego or something like that. He said I'm
2: greasing a judge.
0: Greasing a judge. Okay. Greasing Uh, a judge in San Diego that I hope is going (laughs) to let me do that.
1: That is what he said.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Another uh,
1: unfortunate turn of phrase. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was there that
2: that gives you the whole sense of the tone of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he, um, the other thing he did is he described, I think, a little bit more how he actually planned to do this. I mean, he talked about the the the, the person was going to go into court not with air AirPods, but with uh, Google something glasses or something that have a hearing. Uh, that, that that have sound in them and uh, that, you know, in fact, uh, the judge would ask a question and, and the person would wait for do not pay to tell tell the person what to say. But but he said they had sort of carefully picked a case that where they thought they could get the case uh, dismissed on procedural grounds because certain things weren't done properly in advance uh, they had done a request for the information in the case and the request was never granted, so they thought they'd be able to just get it thrown out on that grounds. So it wouldn't ever be anything where the litigant would have to, the pro se litigant would have to tell anything about the facts of the case right. or the law of the case, basically would just be going in and saying, I made a request for information, it wasn't granted, therefore my, my case should be dismissed.
2: Yeah, uh, you said they so. particularly, they specifically picked one where there was no evidence that would have to be discussed. If I thought your question was good, you're like, if, what, if they're supposed to just repeat what you say, how can it answer something about evidence? And he's like, we picked a case that didn't have any. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, well, we'll see what happens there. Uh, uh, well, let's see what, so, uh, that that's our do not pay conversation for the week what about our chat gpt conversation for the week seems like we right. always have to have a chat gpt story every week and
2: right? i didn't even bring it up
3: and you didn't even do it
2: <laughs> i know i thought joe did it first so i'm like well oh, let him at the moment
3: <laughs> yeah uh sure yeah no chat gpt uh who again now last last week i got cut off at the very end i assume by the robots who were mad at me for making fun of chat gpt but like look i as loyal listeners of the show know, I am not the world's biggest fan of this. I think it is a useful first step to something, but I think that it, as it generally exists, is largely drawing from bad data and therefore gets bad garbage out results, uh, which is why
2: Sam Altman kind of said that himself. This is a preview. This is not,
3: Yeah. Well, and, and this is why I wrote that article last week that we talked about, which uh, was that if you pair it with a data set that is trusted, then that is how you should implement it going forward. And that's why I liked uh, what we were hearing out of Ironclad using their existing playbook. Here, uh, we've now learned that there is a Colombian judge who uh, wrote an opinion through Chat GPT. So uh, all of your fears are happening. Uh, that said, like one thing, though, I will say as an addendum to this is this wasn't my story. It was uh, Catherine's story here at Above the Law. So I didn't want to necessarily focus on the things she did. Uh, one thing I will say alongside it is that there's a study that's out there. Uh, Legal Cheek has done a lot of coverage of this that uh, U.S. judges apparently uh, – are very open about how they have been increasingly using Wikipedia to write their opinions. So, uh, maybe chat GPT ain't so bad. Uh, like comparatively, maybe I would trust that a little bit more.
2: Well, I feel like your point, which is like, I've been screaming into the wind for the last month. And now finally people are there. Like, it's not about chat GPT. That's just a toy that came out. That's not the mm-hmm. point. It's the technology underneath it, the models, how you train them, how you use them, how you incorporate it. Like Ironclad, that's a perfect use. Lexion did that with projects mm-hmm. like five weeks before Ironclad. Um, like Docket Alarm was doing it. Like it's not, nobody should be using the actual chat GPT tool in law. And I mean, Sam Altman would say that. He said that when it first came out. But apparently, they are using it for (laughs) to write opinions now. Which is, I mean, there's another thing in South America, like in Brazil, there is an AI program called Victor that they've been using for a while to determine like who can actually appeal to the Supreme Court. So
1: it's like there's some crazy stuff going on out there.
3: Yeah. I guess I I wonder though, do they
1: have like uh, U.S. common law style citators so that judges at least have a back? a backstop against using bad law in their opinions? I mean, are mm. they just relying on the, I mean, cause I guess it comes back to sort of e- an ethical obligation, like fine, it does a draft, but then what do you do with the draft? Do you go and right. validate what you found? Right, I don't know. Has,
3: okay, What so is Columbia is, is...
1: Yeah, is the actual oh. opinion available?
3: Uh, that, see, now this is what I get I when I choose somebody that. else's story. Uh, he, Columbia is he, a... Yeah. I was just going to say, Columbia is a civil law jurisdiction because I do think that is an important distinction here. Yes, uh, yeah, go on.
0: I was good. Well, I was going to say, wasn't? Didn't he use ChatGPT to kind of for medical research in this opinion? It wasn't legal research. He was getting, he was writing about a medical issue of some kind. Am I remembering that wrong? And and the 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 way he used ChatGPT was to try and get some, bring some information into the opinion about this medical issue. If I recall right, maybe not.
3: Uh, it is about insurance coverage. Um, but he did, but he asked it to answer certain legal questions that were based on medical conditions. So he asked it questions like, is an autistic minor exonerated from paying fees? So, Um. I see. Yeah, I see. so yeah. I mean, look, it, that that's a little scary because obviously we had the conversation the other day that uh when we asked the this particular tool about the gay rights cases, uh, it said that Clarence Thomas wrote the same-sex marriage uh legalization decision. So maybe <laughs> he maybe he didn't write Obergefell and uh it can be wrong about that. So that's a little scary. Yeah, right. But I do wonder, I do wonder if the civil law thing is a big deal, though. Like, it, it make sure that it's a little bit more grounded.
0: Well, um, the uh, we we we've been talking about a lot here, and Gene, you kind of raised the question of uh, since since everybody's talking about what does that what does that mean? What does that bode for the uh, whole legal tech conference circuit?
1: Yeah, I, I I actually went through the, the, the recently released Legal Week conference. To, there was one session that was explicitly about ChatGBT, but I thought there were lots of sessions involving AI and other where they could clearly become a, a ChatGBT session. And I, I just wonder how much it's going to dominate. You know how like at one point Legal Week was almost an e-discovery conference, and I wonder yeah. if in a year from now, Legal Legal Week is going to be a Chat GPT <laughs> conference or a large language model conference. What well, would you like me to? <laughs> is this
2: sure. my where I get to do my shameless <laughs> conference plug? Come to Legal sure. Week. Um, yeah, I mean the the schedule was set a while ago, and then they added a three hour workshop on Monday um, about generative AI, not Chat GPT. It's very yeah. strict; it's yeah. not just Chat GPT. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of how it could be used, what are the ethics of it, how it actually works, things like that. So they added that three-hour session, and then it will definitely get worked into some other sessions. Like I'm on like the future, future state of the industry panel, and like obviously AI is going to have to come up, and there are other AI panels. But a lot of the content also is sponsors haven't necessarily said what their content is, them, and they've bought blocks, and so I don't know how much is going to be put in there, but. Um, they're definitely adding it in, but I mean, Legal Week is such a broad audience that I not everyone wants to hear AI all the time, but it's definitely mm-hmm. working its way in. And I have a feeling I'm going to find myself on a lot of panels as the days go on mm-hmm. as the, I mean, this is not controversial in ALM. I am like the resident AI expert within ALM right now, but mm-hmm. um, so yeah, they added that, conf- that, that formal session for sure, but you'll see it. You'll see more of it in there, but also, very conscious of the fact that it's not the only thing in legal technology. Yeah. So.
1: so, does our press pass get us into that three hour seminar? That's what I want to know. Oh, uh, probably. Okay. Is there is are there limits? I don't know. Does it I
0: get you out of the three hour seminar? As well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well um, Bob, I also had my, I, the little, the post that I found on, on Reuters about. <laughs> Google's big launch and misfire of BART this week, you know, where they they actually posted a question, a little oh, video bad. of a question, and their uh, BART gave part of the answer was wrong. Yep. So, but what's really shocking to me is that there was nobody at Google that had even occurred to do a little due diligence around oh. it. There are two people
2: at Google that are being fired this week. That person who didn't check the answer, and the person who didn't have the phone ready for their phone demo at their big announcement. Did you watch the Google announcement from Paris? No. They're like, okay, and now we'll do a live demo from the phone, and the phone wasn't
4: there. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was an interesting, uh, interesting moment. <laughs> yeah.
0: Has anybody tried the new Bing with the Chat GPT? incorporated?
2: I keep meaning to. Bro. I
3: did. I did a couple. Uh, it it didn't give me appreciably different results, but I did, you know, like I, I, I feel like I need to have a more extended time with it to find something that's more lost. Uh, we'll see. Because I do think there are certain situations where I can press it, especially if I start thinking of articles I wrote forever ago and seeing if it can find them based on a couple of words I remember. You know, that's the hardest thing for Google. And so maybe that'll be something Bing can do.
1: But does anybody think this is going to erupt into an equivalent of the browser wars back in the 90s with Netscape versus Mozilla, you know, where everybody's gonna be trying to push their their, uh, search engine and somebody is gonna become dominant and everybody else is gonna fade away. I mean, that's I'm
2: currently talking to people about that. I don't have the answer yet, but yeah, everyone's posing this as, you know, this epic battle between Microsoft and Google right now for A.I. supremacy. And I mean, people, uh, does it but does that matter? I mean, do we care who wins? I don't know. <laughs>
1: You know, what I care well, about is, am I going to, is it going to get easier for me to find what I want? Or am I going, is it going to make it easier for people who are paying money to push me into the things they want me to see instead of me getting the answers I want? You know.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, I, you know, I've gotten really frustrated with Google. So, I mean, I think the opportunity is really there because of the advertising. The advertising uh, on Google has just gotten way out of out of hand. And, and I mean, you do a search and it's like, right. you know, half the page is just, yeah. sponsored results yep. and, and you just can't get to what you want. And, you know, it's also I mean, I think Google has intentionally um, obscured uh, results that used to be easier to get to uh, uh, not just for advertising purposes, but I mean, maybe some of it may be con- copyright purposes or that kind of stuff. I mean, it used to be much easier to, to search uh, 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 texts uh, uh, of, of uh, i mean google books used to be a great way to go in and search search book texts uh and a lot of that is is no longer available on there so i mean i am i'm ready for uh ready for Uh, Bing or whatever it is
1: i can give you a good example it was really hard for me to find a story about google's flop this week using google i had to go to (laughs) bing
0: (laughs) right 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 i mean i can't believe i'm saying this
2: i never thought bing would be a thing again but i know I'm excited <laughs> yeah. to see what they do because like google's just on their heels and they're panicking because they've just had they've dominated for so long and well, no one's been able to challenge them really or has tried
1: yeah and so i That's, think it was something like they lost a bazillion dollars in market value after the flop you know
2: oh, like, it was like yeah. one, 143 billion was the last figure yeah. i saw after yeah. after that hallucination in the Bard ad yeah
4: i think that one of the interesting things to me is you know microsoft is so Embedded in the legal community, and now that they are are apparently going full bore into this, yep. into being and uh, artificial intelligence and Chat GPT. I mean, it's it's an opportunity that you know we may see more lawyers becoming more familiar with these tools, just because they're now Microsoft tools, and we've used Microsoft forever, and we know it, and can't say we understand it, but. You know, it is familiar. So I think it'd be interesting to see, you know, at, at the a conference, I think I commented on the fact that, you know, Microsoft seemed to be everywhere in everybody's um, uh, workflows and everything else. So yeah. that's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I still had... I was just going to say they've also had a relationship with Lexis for a, a long time. They've been pretty tight with Lexis, and Lexis obviously has some really valuable—you know—they they would have a reliable data set of in terms of legal content. And that's exactly
2: your point, Steve. Is exactly why I I I, co- I was covering a little bit Microsoft's increasing involvement and in their investments in OpenAI, just because, I mean, strictly, I mean, Word is not technically legal tech, but. Microsoft has such a stranglehold on the legal industry that it might as well be. And so uh, I think that is kind of, that's, that's why the results of this epic AI supremacy battle might matter.
0: And
4: mm-hmm. to, us Yeah. Even more yeah. so than
0: other industries, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think back to Gene's point, I think the, I think the, the likelihood probably is that, I mean, I don't know whether it's going to be like the way eDiscovery discovery uh, dominated conferences in the past, but certainly, over the next couple of years, I mean, it's already—I I don't know about you guys. Well, I do know about you guys. You guys get the same press releases I get, and I mean, already, like every press release you you get is talking about GPT or or AI in, in some different way. I mean, they were all talking about AI before, but now it's all GPT, uh, and uh, you know, it it, it well, it's ju- it's just going to continue this way for for the foreseeable future, I think. Um. Uh, I think did we talk about everything everybody picked? Because if not, we could. I mean, there were a couple of deals this week. I know uh, Stephanie, you had one. I I had one that I uh, w- highlighted, which was the uh, um, acquisition. I guess you want to call it of, of file uh, of a Lidify, I almost said Filevine, um, uh, uh, their their competitor, but uh, of Lidify by uh, Bessemer Venture Partners, which is uh, uh, took a, a majority stake in Lidify. Uh, kind of interesting I think on a, on a couple of different levels one is that bessemer uh, is has been a, a big investor already in legal tech uh, including uh, Clio and and disco and and, and several other companies um, filevine you know it, it's kind of rumored that they were getting shopped around for a long time uh, uh, again, I said FileVine and again. How I, was say <laughs> I we're, Joe and I are on our way to the Filevine conference this weekend uh, in uh, Salt Lake City, so I have Filevine on my mind because I'm speaking there on Monday. Uh, but uh, but they are very much competitors, and I and you have to kind of wonder whether they timed this announcement knowing that the uh, Filevine conference is coming up next week. But but Litify is kind of interesting because it's actually it's built on the Salesforce platform, and it and it evolved out of. Morgan and Morgan, the the largest you know plaintiffs law firm in in the country, uh, and it was originally kind of getting developed as a as an internal practice management platform. When somebody realized, hey, maybe we have something here that's a product, and they spun it off into a separate company and built it up. And originally, their market was mostly PI firms, but uh, they've expanded into the mid firm range. Uh, well, who questioning who came?
3: who came to that lot, that decision? Was it Morgan or was it Morgan?
0: <laughs> or both of them.
3: No, nah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just go on. Morgan. Uh,
0: is there, are there two Morgans? I've, I've only ever seen John Morgan, the, the, the guy you see all over the billboards and stuff, but, um, um. Who's the other Morgan? His son? There's a he. know, he has a son, at work.
3: I there. mean, one, one. Wait, well, wait. Is this going to be a bigger scandal than any do not pay thing? Like, it is is there only one Morgan? Like, is this? <laughs> is there an evil twin that's coming back? Like, I'm re, I, and this is now going to dominate my evening.
0: Is Morgan? Is the other Morgan actually just a uh, a bot of some kind? Yes.
3: It's ChatGPT
0: being controlled by Joshua Browder. <laughs> um. But yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> on the note of because you said Salesforce, on the note of how AI is everywhere now, I mean, I I didn't read it, but there was I saw a headline about how Salesforce is going to make a whole generative AI move in some way. I didn't. I mean, there's too many headlines. I didn't, or so I didn't read it all. But
0: is that right? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that yeah. either. Um. So what was I gonna? So <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Uh, Anyway, it was interesting. Uh, I mean, they are. Uh, they, oh, I was going to say, finish saying, just that they've started PI, but they've kind of moved into the big, the mid firm market in a big way, and they're going into corporate legal. Uh, uh, and they they actually said uh, in, in my interview with them that they expect that by next year at this time, their their customer base in corporate legal will be larger than their law firm uh, customer base, which I, I thought was interesting. Um, and then and then somebody you. you also covered a deal this week right
2: yeah macro um which kind of you can do a uh, file vine transition in a way because <laughs> unlike filevine they're not trying to create a new document format they're actually playing nicely with the ones that currently exist but um yeah macro got um oh i just that's their website not my story just kidding um yeah they got 9.3 million from largely led by and horowitz so it's just another example of you know, VC investment in legal tech now. Um, but Macro is actually kind of pretty cool. Um, they're, I mean, there's a whole productivity suite and it's doing things where like, I, like you were saying, they built their own word processing tool, which nobody's done. I mean, Microsoft has done it and Google has done it. Nobody else has succeeded in doing it. And so they've actually passed that hurdle, but they're not trying to necessarily, like I said, they're not creating their own file type or anything like that. but. Um, yeah, they got to that point. They did this release. I was actually talking to the creator last night um, at Christian Lang's Legal Tech Meetup reignited last week or last night in New York. Um, and some of the people in the chat were there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like, obviously, this investment was huge for them. They had a very busy day and they're getting like a lot of more customers now. But it's it seems to me like from everything I've heard, people have kicked it around pretty heavily. I mean, they're a Lex Fusion member and the guys at Lex Fusion have... Tried to beat it up. In their words, they beat the shit out of it to see if it worked, and it works really well. So, yeah, it's a yep.
0: And uh, for what it's worth, uh, that company um, was a was a contestant in last year's uh, Startup Alley uh, oh, nice. at ABA Tech Show. Uh, they were they were operating under the name Coparse at that point, C O P A R S E, mm. uh, and they they since did a rebranding. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of good, and actually, uh, a lot of good companies come out of, uh, come out of, uh, Startup Alley and Tech Show. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool product. I, I remember when I first heard about them, uh, I, I, I did get a demo way back when they were first starting up and, uh, really unlike anything anybody's doing, uh, uh, in the word processing space. So yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm excited. That's all I got. Anybody else got anything they want to talk about?
1: Um,
2: We can talk about AI art, (laughs) Stability AI, or Getty suing Stability AI again in this country. They did UK first and now here, still trying to figure out the copyright issues with AI generated art.
3: Interesting. Uh, and I will throw in that Troutman Pepper had a cybersecurity breach, which we wrote about. Uh, it knocked out their network for a bit. Uh, my take on it, I mean, a lot of folks have other things to say about it. My take on it was more that this is an organization that it seems like, yeah, by all accounts, nothing was not compromised, which is good, but uh, You know, they're working diligently on it, but it also seems like the, oh, my God, what happens plan was not in place because the emails that they were sending folks were, all right. um, Okay, so if you have a personal email account, start using that. uh, And then, oh, uh, maybe you can get documents on your local system, uh, which very much seemed reactive to the situation. And uh, query whether or not using personal emails is good or bad or uh uh, something they're going to have to deal with on the back end for document retention reasons yada yada it definitely seemed like they did not have a plan for oh my god if this happened uh and so i just was very much like protecting data from actually being compromised is only the first step there's a longer road after that
0: yeah yep and uh Related to that, I saw that the New York City Bar Association was was also uh, the victim of a ransomware attack recently. Uh, yeah. Not a lot of details on it, but uh, apparently they've been posting. The attackers have been posting uh, files including passport images uh, oh. uh, somehow uh, from from that were that were found in in that attack. I emailed people at the New York City Bar Association for comment, and they have ignored me.
3: I did not get a comment from Troutman Pepper. Actually, uh, uh, other publications, I believe, uh, ALM managed to get a comment from them. I was not able to uh, because, you know, they didn't have email. I actually don't know how ALM got a hold of them. I like thought about emailing, and then I was like, "What am I talking about? This this screen cap I have says we do not have email." That that was not my
2: desk, so I cannot answer that question. Properly. I know it was, it was
3: American lawyer, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I guess they had a phone number. I I did not handy, so I was like,
1: eh. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the problem with email once there's a cyber attack is that's the thing that's going to spread it. I mean, that's that's why that has to be shut down for so long. Because I know I was in a in a firm that had a cyber attack a couple of years ago, and everything we were all talking to each other on our we had to create i mean actually that might be part of the recovery plan is to have had everyone's personal email addresses and phone numbers as a backup i mean that may just mm-hmm. be the plan because you know the other that that attack from several years ago the problem was it was like a time bomb and nobody knew where the where the where you know like it, the traditional thought was, well, if you go back a week, we'll be safe. But the the uh, virus had might have been planted six months ago or a year ago, and yep. then went off a year later. So you don't know what is the t- point in time where it is safe to recover from. I mean, that, that's what I remember was the big takeaway from the from the cyber attack I was in. It's so hard to know what is compromised in order to rebuild.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I should find it. It was a contributed article I got recently about it that said, said something like, the average time that attackers are inside the system is something like 260 days or something. Like, that was crazy to me.
3: Well, before they reveal
0: the
2: the
3: fact, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, in some ways, in some, my assumption, again, I I don't necessarily know as much about this, but others can correct. My assumption is they have decent concerns that there might be a, Ten day, fourteen day sweep that will catch them. So they're like sitting to make sure: Am I embedded enough that this is not going to get caught? You know. Uh, So they really have to wait. A part of it is part of it is that they want to be entrenched, and part of it is how good we are getting at dealing with cybersecurity. Because part of the reason they wait that long is they want to make sure that there's no risk that their threat can be instantly sloughed off.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, if they want to be a if
3: they want to be a surveillance balloon, they don't want to get blown up instantly. See, now I'm newsjacking the most (laughs) important story of the week. There you go.
0: What is that the most important story of the week? I guess you're taking over transitions for Bob. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) I have nothing
1: to
3: transition to.
1: Do our privacy laws protect us from China's uh, surveillance balloons? That's the question. <laughs>
3: I mean, they, look, they were is uh, the best meme I saw about it. Is all that balloon was trying to do is warn us about our expiring car mortgage or car warranty, <laughs> and we <laughs> shot it down for no reason.
0: Really? All right. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it for this. <laughs> I think that's it for this week. Uh, we will. Uh, some of us will be back next Friday, uh, assuming uh, Joe and I survive Salt Lake City.
2: Oh yeah. And, how long? Uh, how long is the nine conference? Uh,
0: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. No, Monday. Yeah. Monday, is it Monday, Tuesday, and then they have the ski day Wednesday or something? They're having a ski. Day. I think
3: that's right. And I fly. I leave like Wednesday morning. Me too. So, I'm leaving Wednesday yeah. morning.
1: Joe, you're not a skier. With, I, with glass I, in hand I, skiing?
3: <laughs> listen, I, I would love a ski lodge. I don't know as though uh, the skiing is really my speed. You know, now I am a skier.
0: I just didn't feel like bringing all my stuff, like heavy winter clothes and stuff, and whatever.
2: Now that, now that you say ski day, I realize I was invited to that conference. <laughs> I totally forgot
0: <laughs> you remember ski day I forgot the conference I like that. Well, no, That's I was like, well,
2: like ski day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't ski no. so it wasn't I wasn't jumping on it but yeah. Now yeah. now it rings a bell.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean it actually looks like an interesting conference. I've never been to it before. I think it I, I think it might only be the second time they've done it. I'm not sure of that. Don't quote me on that but um uh and uh, so we'll we'll tell you all about it a quick and if, if there are yeah. lots of, if the exhibit hall is full of uh, ChatGPT, we will uh, tell you about that too. You're
2: going to be nicer to them than you were in your write-up. <laughs> <bump. laughs>
0: um, well, actually, that's one of the things we're going to talk about, I think. I'm, I'm doing this like fireside chat with their guy who was their head of innovation. Uh, I'm not sure if he's interviewing me or I'm interviewing him. I'm, I'm not entirely clear on that. Uh, but I think we're just having a conversation. And that's one of the things we, I, we identified to, to talk about a little bit is there their dot vine format that caused such a stir for a while. Uh, It's actually not a bad, I mean, when you actually see it in, in action, it's, it's basically, it's a document automation format and it's kind of cool. But uh, they had, I think a little bit overplayed it. So that was the Um, problem there.
2: That was their super ambitious PR, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 PR people just get in the way of things all the time. (laughs) Um all right good well we'll see you all have a good weekend enjoy the super bowl i hope steve uh, you make a lot of money in your bet and uh we'll be back next week to find out yeah bye everyone,
1: bye, everyone.